0: Hello Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC this is your favorite football podcast back after the first round of games at this European Championships now everybody has played which means that we have slightly more of a clue of how this is going to play out than we did a couple of days ago and it makes it very exciting so my name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me the Rank God Mr Sam Tai hello mate how are you I'm okay mate I'm buzzing I've watched loads and loads and loads of football as you might <laughs> imagine um unlike you two I've basically not only watched all of the all of the European championship games but then it gets to 10 o'clock and I'm like excellent we get another six hours of copper America um, <laughs> so it's, it's it's been an intense but good couple of uh, couple of days uh, and of course our transfer guru Mr Dean Jones how you doing mate
1: good mate I'm very good all well all is good, mate. All is good. I'm probably not watching anywhere near the amount of football you are, but I'm seeing enough.
0: You've got to see England win a game, though, which is good for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Good for Sam.
0: Um, and I'm, I'm pleased for you both, I'll be honest. Are you? Yeah. No, he's not.
1: He's just waiting for us. He wants us to gloat and get excited and, um, yeah, this and then laugh. But, this is a um, trick. We will do that. We'll get excited during this show. Yeah, you sound like you well, well, you're are great. England are great.
0: I'm genuinely pleased for you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being sarcastic here. I, I'm, I am pleased for you. I'm happy that you get to so be happy. High, so
1: happy you had a Scotland shirt on yesterday.
0: Look, they weren't playing England. <laughs>
1: okay, what you were on, anyway on Friday.
0: Well, that's a different question. But, uh, you <laughs> can wear your have, Scotland
1: shirt on Friday because we're going to bat him.
0: I have Scottish friends too and I would have been very happy for those if they'd won, right? Okay, that's all it is. Just like get to be happy for lots of different people and that's what the best thing about European championships are when your team doesn't qualify. Um, right, uh, there is lots gone on though uh, and Sam, we're going to basically take this episode to rank as many little categories as we can um, based on this round of fixtures to, to give you a kind of flavour of how we've, read things so far
2: yeah we're going to rank the first round uh we're going to split it up into four categories uh we're going to go through some top team performances then we're going to go through some top not so obvious player performances as well um i say not so obvious because when we talk about the best teams we're obviously going to start wrapping in those absolute headline showings uh then we're going to talk about the worst performances sorry guys we've got to balance the argument three of you are on the chopping block and then we can talk about some breakthroughs as well I think these are players that you probably will have heard of, but the wider populace, the casual football watcher, the one that kind of tunes in for the international tournament, would have gone, hey, who's that guy? Or perhaps this guy in particular has shown us a slightly different side to what he's about. So those are the four categories. And I guess we start with the top teams. And I think we should ask Dean to lead us off. and I think I know where we're going.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the best team uh, so far at all is England. (laughs) <laughs> um there's absolutely no doubt about it uh a sunday we battered croatia 1-0 um it was exactly the performance we all needed and we got it now look on a serious note it was actually really important for england to get off to a winning start and the the way that they got it was perfect um because they haven't won like four nil and got us all ridiculously hopeful and excited to then go and lose to Scotland on Friday. Um, they won not underwhelming, so they haven't like drawn nil nil or lost one nil, and they were are all deflated and want Southgate to leave. We've just got a really comfortable one nil win where pretty much everyone I've spoken to since is like, yeah, we're good, are not we? Yeah, it's good, yeah. <laughs> it's very rare for it's 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 not it's unknown because we've literally never started a European Championship campaign with a win, let alone a win we're all happy with. Um, so yeah, everyone everyone here is really happy apart from Jack. But um,
0: I've told you I'm happy. We don't believe you. No, we Absolutely. don't
1: believe you. You can you can lie as much as you like, mate. Um, and I was happy for Southgate because he got his his lineup was you know criticised before kickoff, and he, I think it was spot on. I thought Kieran Trippio... Did a great job at left back, um, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice as the two holding refielders, if you like, um, were great and had a great balance to them and playing Raheem Sterling paid off and um, a front three of Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane and Phil Foden. I liked a lot and I think Man City like it so much, they're going to try and um, put the band back together for a whole Premier League season <laughs> next, next term. Um Especially pleased for Raz, obviously, because um, he's had a hard time, you know, a hard time for England and he's been criticized a lot. Um, and he deserves a moment like that. And I really hope he has a good tournament. And I actually do think playing with Harry Kane and in the role that he was in, really suits him and I think he enjoys it and I think he's just enjoying life right now I saw an interview of him saying he's meditating and he's just trying to connect right now with himself and bring his whole body into one and just like be present and And I just really like the way he's talking and everything so after a really difficult season it's good for him and yeah overall mate I'm just really pleased with England I know this is biased opinion and stuff like that but it, it was a good
0: start yeah I think this is completely fair and, and I completely doubled down on that point about Sterling um, because it has been a tricky year, I think, given, you know, what's happened at club level. It's also, you know, been, you know, as you say there, his whole thing since he's basically been an England player has been. Level after level of accusations about him. It's been mm. Raheem Sterling doesn't turn up at tournaments when people aren't attacking his personal life uh, or, or attacking him for yeah. buying his mum a house. Um, <laughs> they're attacking him for his performances on the pitch. So for him to score the goal that won that game, you know, 500 yards from where he grew up playing yeah. football, you know, in Wembley, but I'm just pleased for the boy at the other end of the two nine seven. Because no, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, just two boys happy for each other. So no, I'm just delighted. So much in common, you and, and Sterling. Look, yeah. I'm, no, it, and He's happy for
2: you as well. He knows I'm you're sure doing great.
0: I'm sure he is. And I'm sure he would be. You know? But yeah. it's, it is one of those where it is a story that I think it's got nothing to do with, with, with who you support, whatever it is. It's about looking at Raheem Sterling and thinking there's someone who deserves their moment in the sunshine more than pretty much anybody else. Um, and he got it. Uh, on Sunday and, and I thought that was magnificent for him so I completely agree with you did you?
2: Thanks. Right. I'll take us on to Belgium. They're my nomination. Mm. Uh, was good a bit, team. Was, 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 a, was a bit impressed by what mm. Belgium put together and uh, it's a more comprehensive scoreline in 3-0. Obviously the opponent, Russia, is comparatively weaker to to Croatia but it was still a, a Russian team that kind of shocked us all in a good way uh, at the last World Cup and we weren't really sure quite what we were going to to get from them. I think Belgium kind of took that out of everyone's hands though. I think they just they just decided to run them over. And it doesn't matter what Russia can do or, or can try to do or can pretend to do when Romelu Lukaku and Co play in the way that they did and they they really did just dominate. It was it was quite the showing and you got Tielemans in midfield absolutely spraying it about. I thought Carrasco was was really bright dropping into the little pockets. Eden Hazard came off the bench and looked like he was really happy. Jack, you made this point on our, our Patreon podcast on Monday that you know, Hazard looked happy. And that's not really been a common feature of football for the last probably two years or so, ever since he, he basically swapped Chelsea for Madrid. So great to see that. I mean, the one downer here is like it absolutely sucks to see someone like Castagna ruled out of the rest of the tournament with such a such a severe Uh, eye socket fracture in the end wasn't it it's a a double fracture to his eye socket But but you know Tom Arminier comes off the bench gets a goal gets an assist you know it all just kind of went right for Belgium on the day it just it kind of felt it kind of felt like the game went sort of perfectly and if Russia ever did muster a shot from 30 yards or something obviously you've got one of the best goalkeepers in the game and Courtois to just very calmly scoop it up and go again Belgium felt really imperious uh in the opening game and there's there's every chance really that that Russia game is actually their hardest game of the group because Russia really? had the home advantage and Belgium completely and utterly put that aside. And now they've got Denmark who have obviously over the first over the first round, football's not their priority right now and you can understand why. And then you've got Finland on paper, the the weakest team in the group. So... Onwards and upwards for them. And then my nomination.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's fair enough. And uh, we'll come on to Denmark towards the end of the podcast. Um, I think there's a couple of honourable mentions. There's a couple of teams I would could have, could have thrown in here. I you could can only th- nominate one, Jack. I know, I could, I'm going to just put them out, but I'm okay. going to tell you I know. You're going to talk
1: about all the other ones first.
0: <laughs> yeah, for, for an extended period of time, probably, is uh, you know, how it works. Um, but I could have put Slovakia in here. I thought they were really, really well, well drilled um, against a better side. And look, they might have got a little bit lucky. I think they got you know, the red card, which was probably a little bit soft at a time where Poland were really growing into the game. Um, but they were really really clever on the counter they played some really nice stuff and they've pulled off a big big victory that might well be enough for them to qualify for the knockout stage this is a team that everybody thought were going to get absolutely run over in mm. that group and they've they've pulled off a big shock straight away so you know what shouts out to Slovakia because they made a you know a big impression they worked incredibly hard they were really really well drilled defensively um and they've pulled off perhaps the shock result of the first round i think so just a, a mention for them and, and probably a mention for France tonight who were genuinely scary at times. Now, I think a 1-0 win where it was a little bit dicey at, slightly at times is, is probably not enough to put them into this category, but, but it's probably enough for an honourable mention. Um, but yeah. my, my nomination is Italy, who I thought were remarkable uh, on, on Friday night, especially in the, fir- in the second half. You know, the yeah. first half was, was good from an Italian perspective the second half was exceptional um and we spoke about Italy in the preview podcast and i said that i really like them but this is a tough group that's quite well balanced in the way that it pans out is there's there's no real easy game i don't think in in this group um and also we talked about the fact that italy's lack of a number 9 who has previous goal scoring threat for italy could prove to be an issue now i think beating turkey In the way that they did on friday night in such a an emphatic fashion you know it then to you know to beat the the team who everyone kind of had as dark horses who were maybe going to cause an upset on the opening night you know to to do that in the way that they did and to get chiro Mobile off the mark you know, with a very good finish, yes, a little bit lucky in the way it fell to him, but a very good finish, um, I, I think is, it, was, it was incredibly impressive. And it, it, set me on, it set me on my way. I was absolutely delighted on Friday night for Italy. And it, it's one of those where I now think, you know, they kick on and it's all about momentum. I think from an Italian perspective, you look at the way they qualified. Yes, we've talked about the fact that there are points in this team where you think, mm, are they going to get that over the line? Is that defense good enough? Is it you know, strong enough? But I think if Italy carry on with the momentum they have and, and continue to play in the fashion they are right now, then they're going to be an incredibly difficult juggernaut to stop, especially if they keep rolling. Um, and I think that win is perhaps the most important in terms of any teams in terms of getting off the mark and getting off to a good start. I think Italy that was incredibly important for them. So I'd like to nominate Italy, please.
2: Yeah, mm. uh, you've 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 kind of you kind of taught me around. I mean, my my job here after we take the nominations is to is to rank is to rank the candidates. You know, one, two, three, and. Uh, I came into this podcast assuming that every single thing that I nominate would obviously be number one. Why would I have chosen it? Um, however, I happen to share a microphone with two incredibly persuasive people. And I think what you've highlighted there, Jack, with the, the intensity of the performance from Italy on a kind of a nonstop basis, it was absolutely relentless. It feels like so long ago that this tournament kicked off because there have been so many games. But transporting myself back to that, that night on Friday, as you were talking, I was shocked. I was Mm. flabbergasted by by the genuine intensity and relentlessness of that Italy performance. So I think I'll I'll put England in third place here um, and I'll put Belgium in second. And I will say that Italy were the most uh, impressive performers as a team over the course of the first round. Very good. Seems fair. We started started well, didn't we? First game peaked early.
0: It's one of those weird ones, though. It's kind of like people are now talking about Turkey as not being dark horses anymore. That's how good Italy were. And I think No, Turkey
1: like, were rubbish.
0: Turkey were bad, but I think they were really forced, I think they were forced to be bad by the intensity of the Italian game. Like yeah. no, uh, you I don't have
1: bad. to build like a wall on the edge of your box just because the other team's got a lot of the ball. Like you're allowed to, you're allowed to out of your half.
0: <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't know, mate. I'll tell you anyway, we'll see both these teams play don't they? In the last fifteen uh... minute, in the last fifteen minutes of a game. So uh
1: Yeah we'll see. see. Yeah.
2: Okay, let's take us on to, uh, to some player performances and some non-obvious performances. I'll start, shall I? Jack, yeah. you mentioned Slovakia's heroic win over Poland in the opening round, and it, it was a, a fantastic team performance. It, it really was. But there was one player in particular that I'd like to nominate for this because of the sheer shock that I was experiencing as he was dancing around the pitch. Andre Duda. Yeah. Andre Duda looked like Kaka on Monday. What the hell is going on? What is this tournament doing? Andre Duda was pretty good for her to Berlin for a stretch, and he got people excited, and then he calmed right down. And you can't tell me the signs were there because his lone spell at Norwich was abysmal, absolutely abysmal in the Premier League, and kind of just out of nowhere, as, as is often the case with these kinds of tournaments, he's just shot to prominence. And he's got dyed blonde hair, He's streaking about the pitch, touch and go, touch and go, quicken the pace, pass and move, pass and move. That the the sort of sharpness to his play really took me because it wasn't necessarily something I would had been used to watching from him at Caro Road. Um, and Slovakia it was a team, you know, early in the in the preview that we talked about, we put a glass ceiling on them and it was pretty low. And the reason was they don't have any strikers. And we thought, you just can't really make that much of an impact at this tournament if you don't have the goals and you don't have the strikers. Slovakia, to be fair to them, if we could give them a a true award, it would be they're the most self-aware team in this tournament because they fielded no strikers. They just thought, well, we'll just play Duda up front. He's a midfielder, but he can just run around a bit. And they played some, some dribbly, mazy wingers. Obviously, Robert Mack ended up scoring that first goal by wriggling through a couple of challenges. And Duda was there pressing, harrying, and then linking play, dropping back in, turning... Moving the ball on. He played as a genuine false knight. And it was just, I just couldn't believe it. So, you know, in terms of honoring players that maybe have flown under the radar a little bit, I give him all the props in the world because I did not expect that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember we were sitting watching the the build up to this game, Sam. And I was like, who's playing up front? Like, what's going on? Like, we know that there wasn't huge amounts of depth up up top in the Slovakia squad, sure. But I was like, are they playing just. 4 no 6 naught and, and and it turns out that the dude was like, no, I'll just play up there and it will be absolutely fine. And probably worth shouting out his compatriot, Robert Mack here at the same time, who was absolutely, he just turned into Leo Messi for 10 minutes for the, for the <laughs> first goal. It's, it's one of the best dribbles I've seen in a long, long time. He just wiggled through about four players. And and I think there was a lot of people shocked. That's just how it was. And, you know, the people we were sitting with at the table, like, who's that guy? Should we know about him? It was like, not, not really. No, like this it, 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 kind of comes as a shock to us as well. But he He's was like a
2: thirty-year-old winger or something like that. Like, like he is not someone
0: to keep an eye on for like a transfer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a strange job, but look, it was Stavakia were, were kind of excellent to a man, to be honest. And Marek Hamzic rolled back the years in that midfield. There was there was a lot to like about that Stavakia performance. You know, no matter was brilliant as well. No matter if they can do that again. And, you know, so wherever that kind of leads you, you have to kind of take it and think, yeah, just really impressive. Well played, lads. Right. DJ, do you want to take us out of Slovakia and onwards?
1: Yeah, why not? I want to talk about Patrick Schick.
0: Not far out of Slovakia then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How far is it? Well, they're next to each other, hence, yeah. it used to be Czechoslovakia,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. So, I like, wonder what the distance would be. Well, Patrick Schick could just kick the ball as far as he <laughs> likes, he could, he could kick the ball from, from the heart of Slovakia into the heart of Czech Republic. Um, because we've, we've just seen that this guy has got an unbelievable whack on him. So, look, let's start. Like, obviously, not an unheard of player at all, but a non obvious player to have shone in the first week, be like, yes, um. Scores two goals um, and an all-round really good performance. The first lovely header, nice that. Then a 49-yard lob, which (laughs) is people are genuinely writing articles all the time, it seems, in the last 24 hours. Is this the best Euros goal of all time? Guess it could be, couldn't it? Because <laughs> definitely the longest distance goal. It's the longest it's the distance way goal. way
0: fades it. It's absolutely. It's awesome. Accomplish. And what's
1: even better is I watched an interview with him and he said, yeah, I'd i been looking for actually for the whole of the first half. I kept just having a glimpse to see where he was because I've noticed that he does drift out like that. Um, so I just kept looking and he wasn't doing it. And then I looked so I was like, oh, he's done it. Here we go. It's like, what? Oh, you just knew that if he was off his line, you were definitely going to do that. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> I know that players do look for these things, but I didn't know, like, before the game, they're planning to, like, lob the keeper from the halfway line. Um, it was brilliant. It was it a really good performance from him, obviously. Like, he's had a pretty decent season um, at Leverkusen after joining them from Roma. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really expect this kind of performance from him. Um he was good not only in attack, but he was he was you know battling to win the ball back and all sorts, which is obviously what you want when you are one of the unfancied teams in a group, which is what the checks are. Um, but maybe not any longer. Maybe they all suspect that they might be able to get a second spot. Who knows? Yeah, I think that very game very with like Croatia it.
2: does does take on to a very interesting dynamic now, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. it really does, yeah, because they'd have watched Croatia and realized that they certainly didn't offer a lot attack wise. Um, maybe Croatia will decide not to pick that line up again. That might be wise. But um, yeah, from a checkpoint of view, think, all right, let's go for it then.
0: Yeah, I think this is it. And and look, Patrick Schick is one of those players who we we kind of talk about here and there, right? He's a player who can, can consistently confounds us, Sam. In some ways, you know, the, the, his dynamism and, and dynamic change, I think, is what I'm trying to get out here from from how he broke through at Sampdoria to where he is now as a completely and utterly different player to the kind of player he came through as is a really weird thing to get your head around. Um, but to you know to score such a terrific towering header you know that is absolutely perfectly placed and a strike from that kind of range that you've kind of read and you're hitting first time on the run they're two very different and but still both very difficult goals um, and and I think a lot of people would have you know looked at that that game a lot of people who watch European football would have looked at that and been like okay Patrick Schick's their striker I've heard of him but I'm not terrified by any means you know and any means at all like this isn't something I'm I'm overly scared by so for him to drop that performance off the back of that kind of reputation I think is enough to lift him into this category
2: yeah, two goals, two very different goals. Almost like you got uh, a glimpse of his past with the second one and a glimpse of what he is today with the uh, with the first one. The juxtaposition of Patrick
0: Schick in in uh, in one game, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Absolutely. Right, I'm going to change tack a little bit. Although I'm not going miles and miles away either. I'm I'm going to go to Austria. Um, Is that on the border? Yeah. Um, But (laughs) what I will say is that I was incredibly impressed by right wing back Stefan Leiner. Now, again, not a player who's completely and utterly off the radar. He plays for Pampersi and Monchengladbach. He is a player of some renown. We said that when we were looking at this Austria team last week that the liner and Alaba as fullbacks would be a, a particularly sensible option I think for Austria to go with and 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 to move on with but he played right wing back and not only did he score a really really good goal from a difficult angle which is not something you expect given he's only scored three goals for Gladbach in 64 appearances and um, he's now matched that pretty much for Austria all against North Macedonia in a, in a weird flex but he just kind of rampaged up and down that right hand side he was very good defensively against that we said that everything that North Macedonia were going to throw at Austria was going to come down that left with Alioski. The way that Elmas drops into the half spaces there, the fact that he can kind of try and overload that, and and I thought the liner dealt with that incredibly well um it's it's a tricky thing to deal with when when a team is constantly bombing down your side um I thought he did well defensively he obviously contributes massively in terms of getting the first goal but overall just a performance that I thought was really well controlled Austria another team we just weren't sure about right And, and I think this is maybe a lot of what we're saying here is teams that you know, we're talking Slovakia, the Czech Republic and Austria. There are three teams that we picked out as, as being unsure how they were going to start this tournament, as being unsure as their credentials, whether they would kick this tournament off with a win. Um, and all three have done so. Uh, and, and I think that's potentially why these players are the ones being elevated into this category. And uh, because they have stepped up and uh, Liner in particular, a lot of the headlines went to Alaba uh, and Arnautovic. We're yet to see kind of what happens with Arnautovic after his bizarre kind of celebration and, 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 rant. Um, but it, I think with a lot of the he- celebrations and a lot of the, the headlines going to, to Alaba, to, uh, Dwan Altovich, it, it kind of got forgotten quite how good Stefan liner was rampaging up and down that right hand side. So I'd like to put him in the bracket, please.
2: And his goal was apt genuinely like really, really good. And Outstanding like, technique. And, and like two days later, Patrick Schick does what he does. So Stefan liner's goal got, uh, got forgotten as well. So everything yeah. he did that day was just forgotten give that man his flowers well here he is here he is on, on ranks fc being awarded but i'm not going to give him top spot no. it is ra- it is ranking time and i am gonna i'm gonna stick i'm gonna stick with i'm gonna back myself um and i'm gonna give i'm gonna give dude a top spot um i think it's the most surprising. out of the blue of
0: these three i think that's yeah. fair to say
2: i could never have possibly seen this coming um and then i'll give schick second place and uh, and my apologies to
0: liner but it's a close third it's a close third i think that's fair mate i think that's absolutely fair what's the next category worst performances <laughs> <laughs> okay do you want me to kick us off here i'll kick us off here why um, have you got
2: like 10 ready to go
0: no i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do one and it was it was someone that i not bigged up that would be the wrong word but it was someone that i said would do a job um, and he very much didn't do a job for Scotland patrolling the right-hand side uh, of that back five. Stephen O'Donnell who plays with Motherwell, he's a perfectly serviceable right-wing back, but he looked very much like a rabbit in the headlights, I thought, um, in the game against the Czech Republic. There was a couple of moments I think summed it up very early on. One, he, stopped, he controlled the ball on the touchline and then let it run out of his foot and just run out of play. Another one, he just ran into. <laughs> Ryan Christie who'd wiggled through a few challenges and stopped him dead in his tracks um and and you know on the whole I thought he just looked like a weak link in this side and then you kind of compare it to the fact that James Forrest came on made things happen for Scotland very nearly got himself a goal and um, and it just all looked pretty bad uh, on Stephen O'Donnell um so you know with regret uh, I think I'm gonna have to put him forward in this category to be honest Scotland's right hand side Could have taken this. Uh, Jack Hendry didn't have a particularly brilliant game himself. Obviously, he's the man who shoots from 30 yards that releases Patrick Schick for his wonder goal. Not quite sure why he's done that, although I suppose he did hit the crossbar a couple of minutes beforehand. So did he score a, a Worldie
2: against the Dutch as well? Same guy.
0: Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I mean, even still, there was like yeah. five passing lanes on and he's just whacked it against a player and they've immediately <laughs> conceded. And I think at that point in the game, 1-0, it's just not what you need to be doing. Um, mm. So the right-hand side as a whole were, were, were relatively poor. Um, yeah. But O'Donnell, I think, took the biscuit for me. And, you know,
2: early in early in that in that game, the first half an hour or so, I thought the brightest player on that pitch attacking wise was probably Yankto for the Czech Republic, who was happened to be playing on the left wing. So was running at O'Donnell quite a lot. And then later on for the last 20, we saw Adam Closet come on and he fired one beautiful ball into the box that probably should have been finished at the end of the day. So no matter what the Czech Republic did on that left hand side, it worked. They tried all sorts of different yeah. stuff, and
1: and O'Donnell really struggled with all of it, unfortunately. England players are going to be queuing up to like play on the left, aren't they? They'll be like, yeah. "Can I play on the left?" Like Trippier has had his go. Can we go? Can we go down the left this time, please?
0: Well, especially because you you assume that they're going to have to play relatively defensively down the right flank with Tierney probably back for this game and Robertson flying forward. You know that's where all the Scottish threat is going to come. You want to be on the side where you're like, no, no, we're going down that way. We want, we're we're going forwards. So yeah, I think yeah, there's that- no tracking back. Will- no tracking back. Absolutely not.
2: All right, I'll put my forward next. And it's going to be Mikolenko from Ukraine. He had a tough opening game, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily all his faults, um, but when you're picked on over and over and over again throughout a game and as a result, of your performance and what the opponents are doing to you, three goals are conceded. You do very much throw your hat into the ring for the worst performance. So Mikulenko's problems were twofold. The first one, Ukraine played a really, really narrow defensive line. So when they dropped in nice and deep, the left left back and right back had to tuck in quite close to the centre-backs. That looked like a tactical instruction. That should not have been the tactical instruction when they were playing against the Dutch, who were playing wing-backs. And they've got players like Frankie de Jong pinging passes around in central midfield and just switching it over to Denzel Dumfries, the wingback, over and over again. Dumfries was standing really far out on the touchline on the right-hand side, opening up a big 10 to 15-yard gap in between himself and Mikalenko. Frankie was teeing the ball up into the air. Dumfries is bigger than Mikhilenko. He's stronger and he's got the run. It's a bit like when you defend zonally at a corner and and you let a player get the run on you. It's like, well, how are you going to defend that aerially? It was that over and over and over again. And Dumfries just kept running in, towering headers, getting his foot on stuff. Look, he forced the first two goals and then he actually ended up scoring the third one. And you have obviously question marks over the Ukraine goalkeeper in the process of all this as well, who for half an hour looked like, the next, there's a second coming of Lev Yashin. And then for the, the next sort of 60 minutes looks more like me or you. Um, but unfortunately for Ukraine, it was, it was all down one side and it was all
0: Mikolenko, And he had a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. I think you can add to that, that you look at the game and you think, yeah, Denzel Danfries did well. He also should have had a hat trick, like straight up should have yep. scored a hat trick. And when an opposing right wing back, even one is kind of naturally Get himself rumbly forward as as danzel dumfries is in a position to score a hat-trick you do have to look at your fullback and be like are you sure mate are you sure you're marking him effectively and uh, the answer to the were you marking him effectively question is no
2: yeah and like obviously look it, I, it looked like a tactical instruction with regard to how narrow he was and it's not also not his fault that like quite early in that game ukraine lost their left winger to an injury um and shevchenko decided to bring on Marlos, who is Quite small, quite diminutive, probably more of a sort of between the lines, number 10. And if he was the man chosen to try and help tracking Dumfries backwards, I mean, that's a disaster as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Didn't do anything to stop the flow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it just, it just didn't work. And I mean, look, you're, you're absolutely right. It was, it's one of those ones where, you know, also we, we spoke about Zubkov in, in last week's episode, right? We spoke about the fact that he is the more kind of work horsey of the two wingers. Um, He's never really shone in terms of quite the attacking talent for his country. Um, But Yarmolenko is kind of given the freedom to cut inside and do what he did against the Netherlands. And Zubkov he was there to kind of track back a little bit more and do a little bit more of the hard yards and, and Marlos very much didn't do that. He did not. Right then, DJ, who's your nomination? Okay, so this
1: player genuinely was the worst player of the last round of games. Gregor Krikoviak of Poland had an absolute mare. Um, I won't even get into the actual reasons why, but just overall, like he just had a poor game. Um, you think of Krakowiak and you're like, okay, this man's got to be the talisman for Poland. Like he's got the experience. He's been at big clubs like West Brom, um, PSG. (laughs) Yeah. But he didn't show any of that like experience or the effectiveness that you've seen him have from, from midfield in the past. Not even the energy was there, but anyway, worse than all of that was he became the first player in this tournament to receive a red card. And after receiving that red card, Poland went on to lose the game to Slovakia and as a result of that red card he misses Poland's next game which is against Spain which is basically going to determine whether they can get out of this group if they lose it then they very very small chance of getting through I guess but look the first yellow card comes for a a booking where he's he's pulled someone back on around the halfway line basically because he'd been caught out for pace I guess I don't know he he was like caught on the turn almost, and there's still three players around him, like but it was just
0: a really poor decision wasn't
1: it It was just a bad decision. He just like instinctively pulls him down and gets the yellow, and it's a long time left to to get through the game, and then the second yellow is like an unwise tackle, I guess you could say it was like it's not atrocious, but it's just a bit over the top, um never really any doubt that you're gonna get a yellow for something like that. Um, And that's it. He's gone. And you'd like to think that somebody of his experience would have better game management and calmness in those situations. He didn't have it. And yeah, it's it's left Poland in a real hole, to be honest. And a team that you thought would be getting out of this group have just had a real setback in that first game, losing 2-1 to Slovakia.
0: Yeah, I, I did ask Sam at the time. Do you think it's karma for him wearing the number ten shirt as a defensive midfielder? Yeah. It was very is,
1: weird that he was wearing the ten. That wasn't it? is yeah.
0: borderline illegal, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, it's a weird one, though.
0: Yeah, it's rough. I mean, it, it
2: comes what not too long after Carol Anete has, has has dragged pole and level, and then he's gone and missed another chance shortly after that. It, it basically felt like, look, we can't we can't tell the future, and football isn't scripted like this, but. If Poland stick with 11 men for the rest of that game, do they go on and win? Probably. I'd argue probably I yes. Probably. He gets sent off seven minutes later. our scores and Poland no. have lost to the weakest team in the group. So do you know what? Yeah. On, on reflection, I think so for, for Jack and I, we've nominated players, but they're sort of attached to a slightly wider issue aren't they like for example Scotland's right Ukraine's left and yeah. part of mine is, is managerial as well I'm basically having a go at Shevchenko wise as mm. that might not be uh, Dean you have actually picked well, true to form actually someone who would be quite fitting for melon of the week um, oh so- yeah he
1: would have got melon of the week wouldn't he it's so- time for
2: <laughs> melon of the Euros so on this mini ranking I think we'll uh, I think we'll give Krakowiat the number one spot um, yay and I'm going one go, one one. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Nikolenko in two, and, and 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 spare O'Donnell in three because there was the least expectation around him. Yeah, yeah we okay, didn't. We cool. didn't know
1: who he was at kickoff. Me and Sam. Yeah. We were like who's this?
2: That is technically. Uh,
1: we True. did. We did look at the lineup. We were like, "Who's that?" And Jack was like, "I told you about him." are like, "Oh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I spoke about him at length last week." And they were like, "Oh, we switched off of that." Oh yeah, that
1: Scotland well. bit. We stopped listening for him. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. Right, one more category in this mini ranking, Sam. Before we move on to the next part of the podcast, um, yeah. and what is it? It's breakthrough performances.
2: Uh, not necessarily gone, you know, gone from I've never heard of you to Wow, look at this guy. But I think probably a player who was who was. It has broken down a few barriers. Uh, the awareness has probably heightened. Maybe earned themselves a little transfer. I don't know, but I think a player that made you go, "Wow, I didn't know he was capable of that," I think will probably be the, the sentiment I'm going for here. And I'll throw, I'll throw it to you first, Jack. I'm going to keep my cards close to my chest.
0: Okay, um, so it's not a, wow, I didn't know he was capable of that. It's more a, wow, this kid is just continuing to be the light of everybody's life, uh, I think, <laughs> is a is truth of it. I'm going for Pedri. Sorry, um, so I thought you're doing Westlife lyrics well yes i mean when am i not but on the whole you know i, I you watch pedro and, and you looked at the you looked at the spain midfield right we, we looked at the depth in this spain midfield even with sergio busquets missing because of coronavirus you look at the depth of this midfield you look at Thiago, you look at koke you look at marcus Durante, even if he is playing at a right back you look at uh you look at uh, fabian ruiz there there is so much depth in this spain midfield But nope, Lucho goes for the 18-year-old from Barcelona who has been remarkable this season, sure. But I don't think anybody, even the most ardent Barcelona fan, Expected Pedri to start the first game of the Euros for Spain. And I think then even less expected him to do the funnel through which everything went-like absolutely everything. Spain had 85% possession against Sweden. And while they were a little bit toothless, I didn't think Spain was bad as some people were saying. Yes, there were there were slight issues with them funneling a little bit too much of their attacking final third play through Jordi alba right and there were some misses that were horrendous from both morata and moreno i'm not giving the kid um that you know, the benefit of the doubt i'm not even gonna, gonna let my golden boy off the hook because there were some big chances that should have gone in the back of the net from from quite across the spain line frankly mm. but I don't think they were as bad as everyone made them out to be it wasn't like they weren't creating chances they just didn't put them away and i think that that probably bodes well for spain for the rest of the tournament it's not necessarily that they're not you know we've seen spain in the past be incredibly toothless and not create anything there and and just sort of pedal the ball around on the edge of the box and not get anywhere that wasn't what happened in this game it's just they failed to make the most of said chances but Pedri was the absolute heartbeat of this side and every time they looked for a spark the Spain side, they they came to Pedro. And for him to be doing that at 18 years old is just absolutely ridiculous. This is a kid picked up from Las Palmas last year at Barcelona. Nobody thought he was going to be the player who played the second most games of Barcelona behind Leo Messi this year. He is. Nobody thought he was getting into the Spain squad. He did. Nobody thought he would start for Spain in the first game of the European Championships. He did. Nobody thought he would be Spain's best player. He was. It just continues and continues continues and he continues to astound me. And you know not only is his work great absolutely phenomenal going forward, it's phenomenal going backwards. He doesn't ever lose the ball. He is just an incredible talent. I am one, running out of words, but Pedri another step up and another moment for him because this isn't familiar territory. This is in a new environment and he's just gone, yeah, doesn't bother me. I'm still the best player here.
2: Yeah, Pedri, I mean, it says it all really um that Spain actually ended up making all five substitutions in this game. They subbed off their entire front three and two of their three central midfielders in a 4-3-3. So Morata, Olmo, Ferran, Koke and Rodri all hauled off in search of a goal. Who's the only one that's not a defender or a goalkeeper who was just left on the pitch because he was doing nothing wrong? Pedri. He's the only he's the only absolute constant in that team as they were searching and trying to find something, a spark, shuffling the pack. No chance Pedri was coming off.
0: No. Yeah. Not at all. So uh, there he is. Not a breakthrough, but just a continued step through the marks to the point where you're like, is there anything this kid can't do?
2: I think it hits the brief though. I think, because again, I was like it's, like, it's like, it's that thing where you said, did I, no way I expected him to play this game. Yeah, absolutely. No way, no way. And, and of all the players as well, he's the one holding it all together. But there you go. Um, I think I'll go next. Uh, make Dean wait a little bit longer.
0: Put him, put him on ice.
2: Yeah, put him on ice. Yeah. I'm actually going to go for uh, Wout Weghorst. Uh, of the Netherlands. I thought he had a really good game.
1: A really good game, and commentator in England who on that game could not figure out, how to say his name. He just he just rotated various ideas throughout the game, didn't he? Didn't my know favorite, if a v or a w, and he just kept going with various <laughs>
0: various ideas. Sometimes he changed it, so he he would go with a v on one of them and a w on the other. Yeah, and that he was did. My, I don't mind if you go, you stick with one, right? Stick with. He did name. do that quite a lot. Valt Weghorst. I was like, well, worst nightmare. Any sense, when
1: It was his worst nightmare that he he did well. (laughs) I mean, this is always
2: a challenging time for the commentators, isn't it? But uh, yeah, some tough times. But look, of course, it's someone that, People will have probably heard quite a lot about um, a goal, to, a, a very, a very good goal tally, nearly twenty goals in the in the Bundesliga is probably going to do that for you. Wolfsburg finishing in the top four means that you're hitting those headlines. I presume that he was linked to Spurs at some point in the last three months because that is exactly the kind of player that they were definitely, definitely linked with. Um, but not a lot of people would have necessarily seen him and he had one of those games and he, he does do this sometimes is when he gets into the groove and he gets into the rhythm and it usually means that he's scored he's absolutely everywhere so in terms of like a like a powerhouse work like like workhorse i was trying to say that without saying workhorse you can say <laughs> the workhorse <laughs> Yeah, Um, he does have these games where he just kind of appears everywhere. And he's someone that will roll his sleeves up figuratively, because obviously he wears short sleeves um, and, and gets involved. And you see him on the edge of your own box battling away. You see him at the near post heading stuff clear. And he was pretty dangerous. Like, Again, we had these um, concerns and these and these worries over the Dutch and and the three five two system that they were set to play. I mean, we weren't the only ones because some lads hired a, a plane and flew uh, and, and flew a message over a training camp, which was please play four three three, Frank. Okay. But he's he's being stubborn. He's going with his three five two, and to be fair, Veghorst and Memphis, the partnership that they've got between them. I think it's pro- it looks like something worth pursuing. And I think a lot of people would look at Veghorst and be like, he's gonna be a bumbling idiot, isn't he? He's gonna be he's gonna be he's gonna be slow, he's gonna be he's gonna be difficult to watch, but he's he's not any of those things either. And it, it's lovely to watch. So I thought he did himself a lot of favours in that opening weekend, not just for the Dutch and getting them a
0: helping get them a win, but I think a lot of people would have taken stock of him and gone, huh, okay. Yeah. Very decent. I think we were all worried that Luke De Jong was going to get the nod when Frank De Boer wanted to play a big man, right? That was that was a concern. And he's played Veghorst and he's completely and utterly, well, Veghorst has completely justified his selection, which is great for everyone because it means we don't have to watch Luke De Jong. Um, and, and, and that's yeah. something that I can get on board with. <laughs> I wake up almost every moment. morning worried that I'm going to have to watch Luke De Jong. I do too. I do too. Right, DJ, who have you got as a third element?
1: Well, I guess this guy shouldn't have been a surprise really. I mean, he's he's 25. He's just had a good season in the Premier League. Um, but Calvin Phillips is the hero I didn't know I needed in my life. <laughs> um, there were plenty of people in this country, not just not expecting Calvin Phillips to not be in the starting lineup for that game, but Genuinely weren't entirely sure who he was because you you think that people watch more Premier League football than they do, like your average casual fan, and people don't people don't know who like every single player is like we do, and you sometimes forget that. And like in my WhatsApp, I had a fair few people go to WhatsApp like Calvin Phillips is playing. Like didn't you know, he retire?
0: Yeah, didn't he retire a couple of years ago and after he's that that big Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, Calvin Phillips helped hugely, I think, by the fact that Bielsa is his manager, because um, that would have given him great preparation for this stage. And I think it's probably fair and that you are unfazed if... Um, if you play murder ball in training every day, like those Leeds players do, and you have four coaches screaming in your face that you're not good enough and you have to do better every time you give away possession, like those Leeds players have to in those training sessions, then I think that when it comes to just a little daily session with England, it probably seems easier than your, your general daily life back at Leeds United. So, um. I think he's probably finding things a little easier in England than he might do at Leeds under Bielsa. But look, he fitted in really nicely to the setup. Um he seems a really grounded lad. Um he offered so much to the team um because I think you're expecting him to sit there with Declan Rice almost and just protect and it wasn't about that at all. He was he was setting himself free. He was um He did cover actually more defensive space than anyone else on that pitch. But he also got the assist for Raheem Sterling um, with a wonderful moment of drive. And there were other really impressive um, pieces of progressive play throughout throughout his time on the pitch. And I think it was just a really nice element to the England team that none of us really knew was going to be there. And it's nice when a player plays so confidently and doesn't seem to have pressure on his shoulders like so many England players have before in that position. Um, So it was just really nice to see. A really positive player. Obviously, I was going to pick an England player anyway. But I think this one really does deserve to be in this category. I agree with you. I loved this
2: performance. And Dean, you're talking about how we expected him to sit there with Declan Rice. I think you were well within your rights to do so. We all were because they played together in some World Cup qualifiers. And that's exactly what they did, mate. That's exactly (laughs) what they did. And because it was Croatia, it was on paper the hardest game in the group. Wouldn't have surprised me at all to see Southgate try and, and block it up a bit. Uh, and yeah. play with, play with a, a proper screen of two players and, and maybe have them not adventure too much. But it wasn't that at all. Once they actually kicked off, it became very evident that Phillips was playing with drive, was was playing in kind of a big 30-yard space, was playing box to box. And there were even points where Calvin Phillips was making runs off uh, Harry Kane's shoulder. He got caught offside at one point. He hit
1: a lovely volley as well, didn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He was more
1: attacking before Bielsa came in, though, wasn't he?
2: There were bits of it, yeah. I there was, there I was definitely. I sort of read
1: a piece as well, but when he was younger, like he would, he was, he was scored loads of goals and stuff. It was only with Bielsa, who he was like, "Nah, you need to be a more defensive player."
0: There is, there is this, and I agree. I think Calvin Phillips was absolutely magnificent. But you know, at the top of this podcast, where we were discussing reasons why you know certain people who, who don't support England don't want England to win tournaments, um, and I just would like to highlight a tweet that I saw at the weekend um, from Squawker Bet. Um they said passing like Perlo, tackling like Gatuso, dribbling like Kaká. Calvin Phillips is not the Yorkshire Perlo, he's the entire Milan midfield. Um and 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 that is why people who don't support England don't want England to win things. <laughs> I
1: think that's a really good description there. I think they've absolutely whoever it up. made
2: that graphic is absolutely right. <laughs> honestly
0: Brilliant. i do worry get him, him on the do... pod you know get we do it we, we
2: do it now because we're self-aware enough to know that
0: it winds the rest of the world yeah. up oh, get yeah. him on next Self, week self-awareness has famously been one of the great traits of the british people i'm
1: um, <laughs> so excited it's coming <laughs> on.
0: Look,
2: look i am not above a bit of english bias here and uh
0: oh I'm, no I'm, this isn't bias like kevin phillips was no, absolutely no, magnificent No, no, that's no, not I, that I'm going to put him number one. Well, completely fair enough. He was absolutely upset. He was absurdly good, but just he wasn't caca in 2008.
2: No, that was Andre Duda. <laughs> that was <laughs> Andre Duda. I'm going to go well Phillips to. in first. I'm actually going to go Pedri in second. I can't believe what he did. Uh, and I'm going to put myself in third. God, that's... Look at that for self-confidence and just a little quick shout out as well before we move on for alex isak who i think opened some eyes mm. in that first game against spain what a shame he didn't get a goal yeah. to match up with a, a really really good performance i think anyone who had only heard of isak because of football manager now knows that he is the
0: real deal as well <laughs> very much so right after the break sam we're going to be doing a little tactics session before we call the end of this podcast don't go anywhere Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time to get a little bit more stuck in to the tactical depth of what we've seen so far. So, Sam, you've got a little segment for me. We're going to we're going to have a little chat about some tactics.
2: Yeah, brand new segment. Um, I want you to picture that very short video that you you know very well from social media of uh, Gennaro Gattuso. Uh, new Fiorentina Descara. manager. Yeah, just describing how uh, things are sometimes may be good, sometimes maybe sh- bad, and we're going to start a segment called Good Tactics, Bad Tactics, and uh, it's inspired by Katsuzo. So basically three things that I thought were very good or very interesting or worked very well tactically, and three things were the complete opposite. Uh, we'll start with something good, and we'll start with England, because why the hell not? That's so all we've done the whole podcast anyway. Um Look, this is worth this is worth pointing out. When that lineup comes out, it wasn't just Calvin Phillips's presence that was being questioned. It was the fact that he's gone and played two right backs, has not he? He's
0: got he's got. There's no point bringing eighteen right backs out of a twenty six man squad if you can't play at least two of them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but like, obviously, lots of people are asking. No, you know, you've got Luke Shaw, you got Ben Chilwell. Ben Chilwell didn't make the match day squad. He got left out as one of the two or three, along with uh, Jaden Sancho. And you've got these two brilliant left backs. One has just had a mammoth six months or so for Manchester United. One's just won the Champions League. And you've decided to play Kieran Trippier at left back, who has no real left foot to speak of either. This is not like Spinazzola, who is borderline two-footed anyway. I know he's a right-footed left back, but his left is pretty handy. It's yeah. not just for standing on. Trippier definitely is. So this this looked weird and people complained about it and I was I myself was very worried about it. But once the game kicks off and you start to realise how the tactics are working, you realise what Southgate's done. Basically, Mason Mount is playing as the 10 in a 4-2-3-1 and he's drifting over from inside to out and he's drifting left constantly, constantly moving over to the left-hand side. And England are focusing their numbers on the left-sided build-up. I think for two reasons. One, get Mount over there linking with Sterling, linking with Kane, it negates the fact that Trippier doesn't really have that much of a left foot and it probably brings ming's channel balls into into play as well it brings his good passing range in in a way that villa don't really do so they just have him kind of lump it 50 yards or so the other reason is that if you focus that left-sided build up and you get mount drifting over to the left you've got a 1v1 scenario occurring on the right hand side you've got foden against Gvardiol, who is a center back really and he had two caps for Croatia heading into this game, and he had to play at left back because Barisic was injured, and they couldn't get bored of Sosa because they don't they don't call him up for some reason. And there's there's two there's two parts to it, you know, Foden isolating and uh, a player who is very inexperienced, and within five minutes he'd already cut inside and hit the post, yeah. and Sterling then was able to drift over a little bit later and obviously score that opening goal, but. This tactical tweak worked and it was a genuine lesson in let's see how they play, but let's see what happens because you don't always know what the intention is and the lineup doesn't always tell you what's going to happen. It looks wrong, but anyone
0: who watched that England performance thought, yeah, this is working. The balance of this team is really good. Yeah. I mean, I'd add there's maybe a defensive capability to this as well, right? I mean, look, I, I don't think anybody, least of all Gareth Southgate was expecting Croatia to start Kramrich on the right wing. Um... It was a bit of an odd move. It, well, that was it actually my something
2: bad to come up to, to to parallel with. I mean, the the use of Rebic and Kramaric, which I'll let you take, but this was my first bad one. Um, well, i tell
0: you what, why don't you do that first as the bad point here, and then we might be able to discuss the two in a little bit more tandem. I think that gives it a little bit more depth.
2: Yeah, they are linked. They are linked. And look, I'm personally very grateful for this decision because it definitely played a part in the fact that my nation won a game uh, at the Euros, but I was very, very surprised to see Croatia Go with Ante Rebic up front uh, and play Andrej Kramaric on the right hand side. Uh, I, I don't think I've really seen Rebic play particularly well up front for Milan in the last six months or so. Against maybe some of the bottom feeder sides in Serie A, fine, but against anyone of note, Rebic up front doesn't really work. Hasn't at club level and. You know, it's not something Croatia have been relying on for very long, or even looking to at all, because Mario Mandzukic was such a fixture in this team before his retirement. So, Kramaric, a natural striker, a natural central player, Rebic for me, a winger. They they were the wrong way round, and it's pretty handy for England that that was the case because I think the threat
0: that they combined for was pretty much null. Yeah, it was minimal at the very at best minimal. Um, it it was really odd, wasn't it? I mean, look, you saw on paper. The the lineup: Red Perisic, Rebic, Kramaric. Right, I almost take it as given that Kramaric starts with the through the middle. With I would have said Perisic on the right and Rebic off the left, cutting inwards. And actually, I think that might have been where Southgate's head was at, picking a right-footed left back, in that he thought he was going to have to deal with wingers with you know Cramwich kind of floating around as he does, and 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 kind of two wingers cutting inside. Arjen Robin, and Frank Ribéry style perhaps to to try and cut inside and cause danger on their strong foots cutting inside now that's I think what Southgate might have envisaged this Croatia side doing because of the fact that they're number nine in Cranmerich or or to be honest most of their number nine options aren't great right They, they are relatively poor in terms of what they are offering compared to the rest of the tournament so I think he might have tried to you might have assumed that they were going to rely on Rebic and Perisic being the danger men in a kind of inverted V and and I think that when you when you look at that and that that kind of adds up what actually happened was Kramaric played off the right he just sort of drifted aimlessly into the middle and trippier was able able to pick him up every time he did get the ball and and challenge on his strong foot because he had no he had no intention ever of going round the outside on trippier's weak foot um which which is quite a weird place to be in when you know and the fact that crows didn't change it for such a long period of time given that they knew that there was a right footed left back on the pitch felt really odd to me
2: yeah, it was really weird. And then Croatia start bringing on their other players. Like in second half, they start to chase things. So you bring on Josip Brakulo, you bring on Nikola Vlasic, two very, very good players. You look at the players they're bringing on. You look at the orientation of the attackers to start with, and you're like, you could have done about eight different things here that all would have been way more threatening to England than what you actually did.
0: Yeah, I mean, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And the fact that you know we just didn't see Oršić, like, yeah. What? It it didn't really make any sense.
2: Well, I was fine with it. Anyway, let's move move on to something good, shall we? Uh, Let's let's move into uh, Alaba, David Alaba, and his changing role. Now, whether or not this was manager Franco Foda doing this, or whether or not David Alaba is now just the coach of Austria, as well as the captain, I don't know, but acting captain, because of Baumgartlinger. What Alaba did was he started up in a central centre-back role in a back three, and he was playing... Like a pretty classic sweeper, he was literally sweeping around the back of Austria's defensive line, and doing a, a damn fine job of it. To be honest with you, he looked very graceful when he's fat, when he's in his groove, and he looked to me like an absolute cut above everybody else on that pitch. And look, Austria were, were very hard to get the better of uh, for most of that half. Obviously, they conceded the goal, which was like a like an uh, like an utter circus. But it's one of those that happens once in a blue moon, and you just it's just very unlucky. But being solid was not quite enough for Austria. I think they were looking at this game as an absolute must win. And in that second half, Alaba moved over to what I think was essentially left centre back to start with. But as the game progressed and as the the need for a goal increased and the minutes disappeared off the clock, Alaba started just pushing further and further up that channel. And he went from left centre back to kind of like a left wing back slash left mid roll. In the end, he was just the left flank. That's how I would describe his position and uh delivers the cross really that settles the game uh and 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 puts puts Austria ahead and and puts them in a position that they that they see out quite comfortably obviously they go on and score the third one but that's the key moment that that breaks the north macedonia resistance and it's it's stemmed from alaba moving into a more attacking position solving a problem on the fly that austria have which is no natural width on that left-hand side and he breaks the game open and that's exactly what the best player on the pitch should be doing so uh, I mean, I shouldn't be sitting here doubting whether or not that was Foda.
0: But part of me does think that Alaba was just like, OK, I'm going to fix this. Yeah, I mean, he's Mr. Versatile, isn't he? And he's just he just does this. He moves around the pitch based on what his team need him to do. He's been doing mm-hmm. it for years. He is one of the great readers of the game. Um, so, so maybe it is just him. And, 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 and if he has just done that, it doesn't make it. Um, a massive oversight on the managerial part in so many ways. It actually could just be Alaba doing what he does best. He's done this, you know, for some of the greatest managers in the world. This isn't this isn't something that we're just hanging on Franco Foda's head because that would be uh, I think that would be unfair. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I thought he was excellent, and and the fact that he basically just was running the left wing by himself at one point, you were like, okay, you just do <laughs> you, man. You just do you, uh, and he very much did do him. So yeah. shouts out to shouts out to David Alaba.
2: Yeah. Shouts out to David Albert. All right, let's switch to bad. And this one has been hotly debated and I think it's probably gone a bit too far on either side, but I am going to chime in and we're going to look at David Marshall's positioning Mm. for the Patrick Schick goal. David Marshall being the Scotland goalkeeper. I'm, I'm filing this under bad and I'm not putting it all down to him. Um, but looking through these screenshots, looking through the stills and looking through the videos, look, there are lots of people at fault here. Don't take the shot. Grant Handley's too far over to the left. Patrick Schick, as Dean said, had been looking for that all game. So he's obviously cheating a little bit too much. And look, I'm full of appreciation for the modern role of a goalkeeper. I know they have to be part of the build-up play. And I know that goalkeepers in this situation probably are looking to step up to that halfway line at times. However... I do think he's at least 5 yards too far forward even for the game situation and if you look at how close he is to getting the ball or reaching the ball as it goes in 5 yards doesn't sound like a lot 5 yards is literally the difference here yeah. I'm not having to go at him for stepping up but he's just got it a little bit wrong and incredible circumstances have proven or have have made it have have, have brought it to light
0: Yeah I think this is it right yeah the, yes you're you're absolutely spot on in that He is slightly too far out right that's that's the problem he is slightly too far out i just don't think it's as big a deal as is often is being made out in some circles like as in he's as you say maybe five yards too far that's so small in footballing terms the amount of crowned you cover even for a keeper you know wandering up and down the pitch so yes he's slightly out of position but I don't think he deserves the flak he's been getting. It is an unbelievable strike, and and to be honest, for the fact that Scotland lost the ball in that situation with overload options down both sides is the real the real killer here for me, and the real tactical kind of moment that I was like, "What are you doing?" I, I think more blame for this goal hangs on Jack Hendry's head than does on David Marshall's.
2: Yeah, I think it's a string of a string of errors, and it's also. Never forget that this is a crazy scenario. And, a, like, and, and an unbelievable piece of skill. Yeah, it is. It really, really is. But I mean, look, uh, I was listening to the Total Soccer Show uh, this morning and listening to Graham Ruthven, obviously lives in Glasgow, talking about the debate in Scotland happening. And, and you know, David Marshall was at the bottom of a pretty massive pylon right now. Scotland had been waiting a long, long time for this, and and he's kind of being scapegoated a bit. And I'm sort of here to say he got it a bit wrong. But he was in a chain of wrongness, and and, and re, a chain of events that just went really, really wrong. And it's not quite all his fault. It's a real shame, actually. Uh, but he's not—you can't exonerate it from it either. It can't swing all the way to the other side.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's still bad. It's just not as bad as some people are making out. <laughs> That's—that would be my take on the situation. Right, last good, please. Yeah, these switch passes into Denzel
2: Dumfries just deserve another airing. I mean, what a tactic to have. What a yeah. tactic to have. I mean, this is, this is the sort of tactic that you, you can use over and over again, I think, if teams basically don't want to press you, and if teams are not willing to engage players like Frankie de Jong in deeper positions with the ball at his feet. And I guess this is where we bring the point to life a little bit and we expand it beyond just Dumfries picking on Michalenko that we've already covered. It's the fact that the large majority of teams at the Euros so far are not pressing. And that's completely understandable, like completely understandable. It's been a hell of a season. The last six or seven months have been a true grind. And there's very few teams that have really pressed with any intensity and very few teams that have done it uh, consistently as well. Italy feel like a bit of an anomaly. England managed 20 minutes in spells. There's been a couple of other teams at other points. But for the most part, people are sitting off in a bit of a mid block or a low block. They're not really engaging the centre backs at all. Uh, in terms of pressing them. And if a midfielder drops deep enough, they probably won't be engaged either. If that's going to happen, if that's what you're going to, if that's how you're going to play against the Dutch, then don't expect anything else other than what we saw against Ukraine. Frankie dropping into that little pocket of space, looking up, what have I got? He's got Denzel Dumfries on the right, herring down. He's also got Wijnaldum, who's just like moving in random positions and directions at all times. And he's also looking for these longer balls as well. And this is going to be a feature of the Dutch because they're not playing total football right now. There's no way they're do- that they're going to be doing that under Frank de Boer. So Dumfries and the switch balls is one thing, but it only happens if you don't press them. So I hope that teams are looking at that and going, "All right, I don't stop Dumfries by like beating him in the air. It's a case of stop the supply,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to you've got to push that. I think what you're saying about pressing is so interesting, and it's just reminded me of maybe what i think is the worst bit of planning that i've ever seen um at any of these tournaments um and i'm going to put it out there that this is just it was it, a bit like it's a bit the other thing is, it's a bit like it's too good too bad uh on match of the day too they uh, <laughs> they just do it this is i think the worst bit of planning i've ever seen kind of logistics wise last game in group e slovakia play spain at 5 p.m. UK, 6 o'clock Spanish time on the 23rd of June, a.k.a. two days after midsummer, the hottest day of the year in Seville at 6 p.m. Spanish time. It's going to be 35 degrees like it's going to be they're going to need eight to ten water breaks during this game. (laughs) Like, spectators are going to overheat. It, it, I was looking at it being like, we spoke about the fact that, and we spoke about it on the pub before that, at Seville in the summer when games, you have games at 10 p.m. Because yeah, yeah. it's just physically too what? Mid-summer, like mid-summer. That's in August, that's in May. You know, those games are being held at 10 p.m. This is going to be a cauldron. This, 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 if this was
2: a La Liga game, then there would just be absolutely no chance in hell that this would be being played at this point. No. Um, also, like, is, is this being played? Is this is being played in the um, the weird
0: in the cartouche. So, yeah, Is it got? Has it got a roof? <laughs> no, it's still yeah, got a roof. It's um, <laughs> it just. I was just. It just made me think about lack of pressing. There's not going to be any pressing done that day. Like none, zero, whatsoever. In fact, right. if the game moves at any quicker than the snails' pace, I think people might combust. Um yeah. So yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Last bad from you then.
2: Last bad. Okay. So this one actually, this one did actually shock me a little bit and it was, um, the best way I could describe it was, um, when Wales played Switzerland in their opener, Wales were trying to stop Braille and Bolo from basically catching a light and running through their midfield and failing massively every single time. I thought that Wales would actually be quite spiky midfield. And, um, I thought they'd try and they'd try and walk the disciplinary line a little bit to, uh. I don't know to sort of pull the game down to their kind of level a little bit, but they did the opposite. They represented. and I was thinking about this at the time. I didn't tweet it. I thought, but I'll save it for the pod. Jack, or like this. It was like trying to stop a tidal wave with a sieve. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. The midfield three: Morel, Allen, Ramsey, stopped absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. They would often push forward. And then just fail to do anything at all. Get any pressure on the ball, stop any passes, stop any dribbles. And Bolo was running through them. And then there was this big 20 to 30 yard gap appearing between the midfield line and the defensive line. And people on my time, are like, Chris Meppham's having a bad game. Chris Meppham is in a very tough situation right now because his midfield have massively let him down. And then Bolo has decided to turn up, which is something that he, to be fair, kind of rarely does. So it was a bit of a tough situation for the Wales centre-backs who just kept getting run through over and over again. But it starts with, again, pressure on the ball high up, which there was none of because Wales did not press because they wanted to play reactively. And then the midfield, they
0: just kind of stood there just letting everything through. It was awful. It's just really odd, like really, really odd. Wales were incredibly poor. Um, Now, I don't mean that with any Malice. I thought they were absolutely awful. Um, and and they were incredibly fortunate to come out of a, with a draw uh, against a Swiss team that we were very unconvinced by, who looked OK, to be honest. I mean, aside from Sferovic, who had one of the worst wow. <laughs> well, the least clinical performances of all time. But again, it's Harris Sferovic, so I'm not 100% sure what anyone was expecting apart from <laughs> this. But, it, you know, it does feel like Wales had an opportunity there to to put a stamp on this and and instead they just really failed to show up and they were I I thought incredibly fortunate to come out with a point from that game because they they did not deserve very much I mean two goals ruled out obviously there was heads against the bar there was some unbelievable saves it was you know kind of a rolling wave of swiss pressure and either switzerland are better than we gave them credit for which i'm not completely convinced but we will find out today when they play italy um or this wales team need to tighten up and, and look sharp very very quickly or they're going to get run out of this tournament you know in a in a very very simple way
2: yeah massively agree you texted me didn't you during the game like maybe switzerland aren't as bad as like mate it's the same problem though isn't it it's like, like they've got, they've got good players across the board. They just don't have that striker. And, um, Harris Seferovic was a candidate for our earlier category of worst performances. At the very least he did. Um, he did take some balls down, um, and create some shooting opportunities for himself. Like he was, he was stood in the box. He was sort of draped, like players were draped across him and he was still taking in good touch out of your feet, it just wide. At the end of the day, it did cost his team though, but there was some, there was the bones of a good performance there. He just, he just couldn't keep his composure. He just couldn't do it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, in the, at the end of the day, the sky is blue, water is wet, et cetera, <laughs> yeah. et cetera. Harris yeah. Seferovich misses chances. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There's your three good, your three bad. Well, Sam, thank you so much for that. That was a really, really intriguing little segment. I loved it. I loved it. I loved that little chat. And um, right. All that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much to Mr. Dean Jones. It's coming home. Thank you very much. Mr. <laughs> Sam Tai. Oh, it is it is coming home come on england i've been jack collins and if it comes home i'm not coming home Um, (laughs) thanks for listening Rag squad Uh, we will see you next week where the podcast is going to be one day later in order to coincide with the end of the group stages so we can look back at them as a whole Um, but we will see you next week thank you as ever for sticking by us we hope you are absolutely loving both the euros and the Copa america if you're watching it we'll see you soon